Father God, Lord, thank you for today. And I just, Lord, I thank you for all the people here today, all the different backgrounds, all the different countries people have come from today, Lord. Uh, and I just, I just pray that this word today, Holy Spirit, just come now, come and speak to each of our hearts as I share. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would empower me, Father God. Lord, that your peace would just be in this place. Lord, that we would learn, Lord, that we would grow in our minds, that we would grow in our hearts, that we would grow in our walk, God. Lord, that we may have come in here in one place, God, but we'd be going out on another. Lord, let what happens in the next 30 minutes... Let what happens in the next 30 to 45 minutes. Just really bless each and every single person's lives and more so people in their lives, people through their lives, God. In your name, amen. So guys, um, as there's a lot of new faces, for, we've been going through a series called Acts. And the last, the last few weeks or a couple of weeks, we've been looking at Paul's missionary journeys. And we were looking at what's going on there. We're looking as well, lessons for our lives, and to some extent, lessons that maybe we can be learning for the journeys that we're on, the visions that we've got, the visions that God's calling us out into. And so last week, we were looking at Pisidian Antioch, and Paul in Pisidian Antioch. And this week, we're, we're going to be going on to the rest of the journey. So Paul's missionary journey, just to recap you, if you're... If you, just kind of jumping on board. They start off at Antioch, the great city Antioch, and then they go to Seleucia, and then over to Salamis in Cyprus. And there's this whole time in Cyprus, and they end up meeting the proconsul in Cyprus. They then sail to Perga, and then from Perga, they don't actually preach in Perga, they just travel straight up to Antioch up there, Pisidian Antioch. And um, John leaves them, goes back to Antioch. And so it's this place, Pisidian Antioch, that he preached a lot about. He, he really shares the gospel a lot, and it's recorded okay, in that. And that's what we were really focused on last week. And there, the, the issue with Antioch was, or Pisidian Antioch, is the Jews really loved it. And the proselytes, they really loved the message. They said, come and speak again next week. But then when they found out it was open to the Gentiles, were open to people who weren't following the law, they didn't like it that way. And they start persecuting Paul and Barnabas, and they raise people up to persecute them, and they speak against him. And they, they end up, they leave the city. They leave the city with many people saved, but they also leave the city wiping the dust from their feet. And they go on then to our title for today, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Okay, so they carry on and they go over to Iconium. And there's not loads written about what's shared in Iconium. Commentators think it's because pretty much he, the stuff he shares is basically the same as he has just shared in Pisidian Antioch. It's a very similar kind of situation that we have going on in Iconium. But they stay there quite a long time. They stay there and they see many people get saved there. But a similar kind of persecution happens and they leave. So they leave and then they go on to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and also Derby. And it's this place in Lystra we're going to really kind of pick up the story from Acts 14, 11, I believe it is. And we ask this question when we're there, is who is your God? Because in Lystra, they heal a man. They go in, there's this guy who's there, he's been lame since birth. And obviously everyone in that town, they know he's been lame since birth. And they see he's got faith to be healed. And Paul speaks to him, get up, and he's healed. He's completely restored. And everybody in the town goes crazy. 
that this guy has been healed. They see this amazing miracle and everyone loses it. And it leads us into one of the most bizarre stories that we get kind of in the New Testament in some ways. It could almost be written down in some kind of adventure film or something like that because it's so, it's so odd what happens because they think that they are gods. They think that, that Paul is Hermes and Barnabas is, is Zeus come down to them. So we go into this quite amusing episode and it leads us to that question, who is your God? Who is your God? I'm going to read verses 11 to 18. It says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, bought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, the the evangelion, the gospel. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. These guys were literally kind of just gone completely mental, you know. They'd gone completely nuts. And so these people in Lystra, they had seen Paul and they'd seen Barnabas and declared, look, it's Zeus and Hermes. They've come down to us. They've come down to be with us. And, you know, that's something that we today can maybe hear it and think, that's just nuts. What, what are they thinking about? But actually, that's something that they believed. That's something very normal for those guys, that within Greek mythology, if you guys, I don't know how much, how well you know Greek mythology, but actually, that's something that would happen. That occasionally, one of the gods would appear in human form and walk amongst men. And so they saw these guys. They saw what had been done. They saw the power of God. They saw this incredible healing. Who knows what else was going on in their hearts? Maybe solutions for their problems. Like, wow, the power of God is here. They saw their answers, and yet they saw their gods in them. They didn't see God Almighty. They saw their idol. They saw in the power. They saw in the great thing that had happened. They saw within the blessing. They saw their God. And so they see Zeus and Hermes and they try to worship them. And it's just this amazing story that we can read it today as a story about a bunch of people who believe some completely nut stuff that no one on the face of the earth, as far as I know, you know, no one on the face of the earth. You can go to the temple of Zeus and Poseidon, things like that. You're not going to find active worship, active people sacrificing to these gods and things like that, as far as I know, right? that it's not something that makes sense today. And so we can read it and just kind of go through that part and be like, oh, that's ridiculous, it's a funny story, and carry on. But the truth is, there is a danger that we can face today that's kind of similar in a far more subtle way where we can end up being just like the Lystrans. But you see, in Hong Kong in 2018, or probably other places in the world, where, wherever you guys are from, can relate to this, that 
We don't worship Zeus or Hermes or things like that, but there's plenty of people in the city today who will worship gods like money, status, career advancement, success, image, beauty, and you could just go on and on and on. It's a massive list. And you know, these things are all good things. I'm not saying we all need to be like completely ugly, enforceably making ourselves ugly and really do our best to be unsuccessful in life. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. It's not what, what the Bible says. But see, they're all good things. They're great things, aren't they? They're blessings from God. But when we make them ultimate things, when we make a good thing an ultimate thing, when we worship them, instead of thanking God for them, when we make them our, into our God or into our idol, it becomes a terrible thing. And so we may say, well, that's quite hard. How do we make it into a, how do we make something like that into an idol? You know, when we look to them for our ultimate comfort, obviously they give comfort, right? But our ultimate comfort for our ultimate protection, for our ultimate peace, for our ultimate provision, where we look to these kind of things to find our ultimate self-worth or our ultimate identity, that's when we've made an idol out of it. That's when we have a problem in it. You remember God says, for this very reason, he says, have no other gods, with a small g, before me. Have no idols before me. Why does God command this? Because he knows for our health, for our benefit, that actually, ultimately, they will all fail you. Ultimately, they're going to fail us, but he never will. When he is king of kings, when he is lord of lords in every area of your life, he will not fail you. See, people look to these kind of things for their comfort, a feeling of safety, of provision, of identity, of peace. And it can be so easy. I think we've all done it. I've done it, right? Where you find, where you think, actually, no, my real comfort at the moment is in this thing that isn't God. But actually, the Holy Spirit, who is he? Who does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is? Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the comforter. He is your protection. He is your safety. The Prince of Peace gives us his peace, a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Jehovah Jireh isn't just one who provides, but he is the provider. Jehovah Nisi is your victory in times of trials and challenges. And ultimately, God has given us this completely new identity where our self-worth, identity, feeling about ourselves can't be ever topped because he's called us children of God. That in Christ, we've been raised to a level that nothing else can top that. Nothing else could do that. There's nothing that you could have or be in life that's better than the, the gift that you've been freely given the right to call yourselves children of God. Yet how many people out there in the world, even in churches, right, find a deep comfort, an ultimate comfort and peace and provision outside of God? So guys, let's not be like the Lystrans who see God and really they see his handiwork and attribute it to their gods, to their idols. God brings the healing, but they attribute it to Zeus to Hermes. You may today have the blessing, and it's great, you may have the blessing of a good salary and a great job, a comfortable life, and you know, praise God for that. It is a great thing, but don't put your ultimate hope, don't put your confidence in the job or the money or the bank account. So it's fine to prosper, you know, it's great to prosper, but don't let the foundation of your peace or your comfort or whatever it is, be grounded 
in the blessing, like the money, the provision of a job, all these things. Let it be rooted in the one who blesses. Let it be rooted in God. That ultimately, all these things you must find in God, in the blesser, not in the blessing. You know, Jess and I, a lot of you guys have been on this journey with us to do with like um, money in the church, you know, ticking down. It's been months and months. It's like tick, 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 tick. And actually, there's been, te- technically, I'd be standing here sharing with you guys in three days' time, church runs out of money to be able to pay me, okay? Which is true. Actually, church runs out of money in three days' time to be able to pay me like a month's salary to be able to carry on working full-time in here. Amazingly, though, recently, I've been asked to do a six-month contract in, in marketing outside so I can still do all the church stuff but flexible with all the time which will pay the same amount that Jess and I get for doing the church and it will last us right till Christmas so it's just amazing that the reason I share that is not to be like wow you know look at look at me but it's like wow look at God you know and you I think you guys hopefully have seen that I haven't been freaking out about stuff but you know in whatever situation you're in however dire it is he's king he will sort it. I was saying, sharing with someone recently, you know, if I worked for the Queen of England, I would never worry if near the end of the month my bank account was low because I wouldn't ever worry that her bank account was ever low. Same with God, right? I can never worry that there'll never be enough when we're working for him. His bank account doesn't seem to run dry. Being prosperous is a good thing. It's a, it's a blessing. In John 3, 1, 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So, you know, the Christian faith is not just about, okay, well, I hope that you're spiritually great, but to, you know, to be spiritual, you have to, you have to be kind of completely impoverished. If you look at the Bible, poverty is never promised as a reward. Like, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to impoverish you, says the Lord. It doesn't, doesn't say that. Sometimes that happens. Different stuff happens. And the point isn't about being super rich and having loads of stuff. It's not about that. That's just stuff. Sometimes in life you may have that. Remember Paul says, I've had a lot and I've had a little and I had to sleep like, he, he could sleep in the rough, he could sleep in a palace. It's not really about the stuff because it's just stuff, you know? The key is in a city like Hong Kong, don't make prosperity and its trappings, like a good job and the money and all these memberships, whatever. Don't make those things into a God. Where do you guys look for peace of mind? Where do you look for your peace of mind? Is your peace in your bank account or is it in him? And so the people in Lystra there, they see that result of God's work, but they completely miss God in it. They completely miss it. And they see it in their idol. You know, it's possible for God to bless us and we completely miss it. I've often called myself like a bit of a stupid Christian. I'm trying to educate myself a little bit, but like so often I pray for things. God does them. I don't realize he's done them. And it's about three months later, I turn around and I realize, oh, he's done it all. You know, it's incredible. There's, there's so many things in my life that I kind of look back and I see, see God in it. And so I just encourage you guys, God's always doing awesome things all the time. Look at the great things he's doing in your life in the moment and also expect them, expect them because he is a good, 
good God. That's what Paul points all these guys back to as they rush out into the crowd. They rush out, don't they? The, you've got the priest of the temple of Zeus. He's not just bought like a sheep to kill. He's not even bought a bull to kill. He's bought bulls. This is going to be kind of like a complete Quentin Tarantino movie, like Bloodfest. There's going to be blood everywhere. There's loads of bulls. They're going to cut the heads off these things. It's just going to be, it's going to be absolutely crazy. And so Paul runs out and Barnabas, they run out and they're like, stop, stop, stop. What do they do? They point them back to the blessings that God has been giving them all their lives and yet they don't know. And they say, no, look, you don't realize it. The earth itself, the land, the sea, the sky, all creation, all the animals, they were him blessing you. Even the rain falling from the sky, the crops growing, so food for your bodies. It's him. Even that ability in your heart to be glad and joyful. All joy is from him, isn't it? Do we spend time pondering the blessings of God in our lives so that we can be grateful for them? There's a thing I believe is very powerful, and that's an attitude of gratitude. Have an attitude of gratitude and so many things because there's so much stuff we can be negative about. It's so easy to have a negative outlook and, oh, this isn't going to go well, this isn't going well. But actually, look for the good, look for the great blessing that God's been pouring into your life and have that attitude of gratitude. So, who is our God? Do you ever look for fulfillment in something? Sometimes, as well, someone else. And I just remind you guys, there may be good things. They may even be great things, great, awesome things. But be careful of that modern form of idolatry, where our hope is actually, our ultimate hope is actually in the gods of Hong Kong, like money and success and career and things like that, our image, instead of having our ultimate hope in Almighty God, the comforter, the provider of everything we would need, our Father, our victory in times of challenge, and ultimately our peace. And you know that question of who God is, it speaks right to the heart of the gospel, or rather the question of who is your God, it speaks right to the heart of the gospel because, you know, actually where our hope is for money and things like that, for just stuff, you know, that's down here. Where our hope is that we can be saved, Faith level, that's got to be right up here. If you, look, if you read at the Bible, actually money and faith, just trusting God, having faith with finances, that's, that's like the beginning of things. You know, some people find it easier to trust God for their eternity than for like, I don't know, whatever, like a thousand pounds for next month. But actually a thousand pounds for next month is literally nothing compared to resting you from the grip of sin and death and saving you and taking you for eternity with him. So... Where does your peace for eternity come from? You know, if you're here today and we believe, okay, well, we've got to be a good person, doing good deeds, avoiding bad deeds, and it's all that stuff that kind of, that I do that qualifies me for eternity, makes me good enough for God, then the tough challenge, guys, is that if that's the case, your saviour isn't Jesus. Your saviour is you. It's the complete opposite to the gospel. Now, does it mean don't be good? No, be good, because we've experienced an incredible love, and so we love as a result of the gospel. Love as a result of our eternity. We love as a result of our salvation. We do great things as a result of what we've experienced, not in order to get something 
from him. And, you know, even the same thing applies to this, this area of blessing. It's not like I need to earn God's favor. I need to earn God's blessing. I need to do all this stuff, Christian stuff. I read my Bible like nonstop for about four months and then maybe God will do this for me. I'm going to half starve myself to death fasting. So twist God's arm behind his back. It's not about that. All blessing is the favor of God freely given to us. So the good news is that even though we can never be good enough, we can never be our own saviors, that there is one who is good enough, Jesus Christ, that he lives the perfect life. He takes upon himself, upon that moment on the cross, there's the physical pain of the cross, but something far deeper spiritually is happening where God himself turns his back on the son, where the father and the son who've never been separated, never, never had any division in their lives, that God turns his back on the son and pours upon the son the complete punishment for sin for all mankind that ever was and that would ever will be and gives it to us, this righteousness, this righteousness of Christ, his perfectness, his righteousness is given to us as a free gift. Isn't that awesome? You know, Romans 5.17, it speaks about the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. You see, a gift is something that we receive. And that's exactly what God's done. He's gone 99.9% of the way there. He's knocked down all barriers and all walls and he has come to us and just invites us to choose him, invites us to receive that gift of righteousness, that we could be seen through God's eyes like Christ, that we could stand before the Father, that we'd be deemed right before him. And so your standing before God is not based on your performance, it's based on his. And that's why we can have ultimate peace about our ultimate destination. You know, every other religion in the world, if you speak to people, even very devout people from that, they don't have a full convinced understanding or peace that when they die, they will go to heaven. Because nearly all other religions, basically all other religions, are all built on, this is what you've got to do to be good enough, which they won't know until they die. We know we will never be good enough, but there is one who is. And so it is the good news that God has now reconciled us to himself. The gospel and challenges the idols in our lives. And that's why people can be so vehemently against the gospel, because it's saying that thing that you place as highest, that thing that you hold as ultimate and as God, you need to depose that king in your life. And Jesus needs to be enthroned in that place. Even though it's good news, people are against it often because people love their idols. And the Lystrians, you see, in this, through these verses, they, they love the power, they love what's happened. I mean, ultimately, you know, they love, they love their gods. They love, they love Zeus, they love Hermes. And there is some people who come to faith, but as a general consensus in the town, we can see that pretty shortly afterwards, these guys do like a 180. They're saying, wow, you know, they haven't received the gospel. They're saying, wow, this power, this stuff, that's amazing. But then suddenly in verses 19 and 20, this is what happens. It says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They convinced them 
that these guys were bad news, that the gospel wasn't good news. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. See, for those Jews who'd come, they'd pursued them from Pisidian Antioch, from Iconium. They couldn't let it go. They were just like, we've got to stop this thing. They had an idol in there, in the religion itself, in the thing that the gospel was threatening. And so it leads them to pursue Paul, to pursue him to a town and not just get him thrown out, but actually get him stoned. These guys in Lystra are passionate guys. I'm sure the church in Lystra was a passionate church, actually. You know, they turn up, they're like, let's kill all the bulls. And then they're like, no, no, let's stone him. Like, there's no place you see. They're just kind of, they're kind of really full on, these guys seem. And so what ends up happening is it leads them there. These, these guys who've come from, the Jews that have come from Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, it leads, they convince them to stone, to stone Paul. And so they stone him and now, you know, it's not kind of a little tap on the wrist. Stoning is an execution. Normally when someone's stoned, that's them getting killed. And so that's why they kind of leave him because I think he's already dead. So they dump him outside the city. How shocked would they have been that afternoon when, you know, Paul Arnold Schwarzenegger walks back into the city. You know, probably got some blood cuts all over his face still. But he walks back into town. And the thing is, you know, with God, it's not over until it's over. And some of you guys, you're on a journey that's tough and challenging, and you face great challenges. And, you know, you have times when it all looks over. You know, you feel like you've just been hit in the face by a couple of rocks. But the the truth is that whatever the situation, however bad it is, when you're walking with God, when God is your God, God can turn anything around, any situation around. That it's with God, it's not over until it's over. And so the next day, they set out and they leave that town and they go to Derby. And there they share the gospel. And many, many people come to faith in that place. And then they do this really interesting thing where they begin retracing their steps back through all the towns that they've just been to, to go and speak with the different believers that have believed, where they faced masses of opposition. And I mean, it's like, if you were advising Paul, this is where, do you remember I was saying about kingdom common sense? and kind of earthly common sense. This really doesn't make earthly common sense to do this because it's like, Paul, are you mental? You know, the place you're going back to first, they just try to kill you, you know? But why do they go? They go back to this place. They go back to build up the church. They go back to strengthen the church. They go back to encourage the disciples go back to put elders in place. They go to do the thing, whatever, you know, their thing is planting the church, seeing the church planted. They go to do the thing that God is calling them to. So even if it doesn't make sense, walk where he's leading. So whatever God is calling you to, even if there's opposition that you face, he may even call you to walk right back into that town. You know, whatever it is, he may call you to walk back into conversation with those people where you have had challenges. So looking for conflict, it's not, whilst whilst maybe Paul can deceive us on this, looking for conflict is not what we're called to do as believers, but also always avoiding conflict. That also isn't how we're supposed to live. So I encourage you guys, be brave that if you face a challenge, wherever it's at, 
be brave. And I know some of your guys' stories for different things. You've had things that they're challenging, scary situations. And you know, sometimes it's very scary to do with provision. Sometimes it's scary just to do with like actually speaking up and saying, hey, I'm, I'm not okay with this. But be, be brave because ultimately he's your victory. And so we see Paul and Barnabas, they go and they travel back through all those towns where they've been persecuted, where they face such challenges. But this time they're not proclaiming the gospel. They're not on the streets saying, come to God. They're not evangelizing. This time they go to build up the church. They go to put systems in place and structures in place. It just makes sense. And so this is the verses where it says, it says they preach the gospel. This is verse 21 and 22. They preach the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. That's great. Church is growing. Then they returned to Lystra. So that's a large number of disciples in Derby. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. That's Pisidian Antioch. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And they said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. That little um, phrase at the end about hardships. It's a funny one. We don't often hear it preached because we tend to live in quite a safe places but there is a reality and good to kind of just pause on there is a reality that being a disciple can be hard for us here in in kind of Hong Kong or Australia it may be that we're just criticized it may be that we're just kind of made fun of a little bit we do have it in some ways quite easy in Hong Kong but there are many people around the world today, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers who face great trials. And actually, not just today, but for the majority of history, although today there are more Christians persecuted on the face of the earth than there ever have been ever in history. So the trial has been the cost of becoming a Christian for so many people. I was uh, speaking with a pastor recently and he said he went on a mission trip to Turkey and there in Turkey he met with a kind of a local mission leader and the guy told him a story about how he went up to the borders, went over to near Iran because a guy had contacted their agency and said, explained his story which was, Jesus appeared to me. I had a vision of Jesus, Jesus appeared to me and told me I needed to find Christians so that they could come and share the gospel with me and share with me. As a little side note, some of you guys may not know the fastest growing churches in the world at the moment is the Iranian church and the Afghani church. And in a study done of a thousand, like thousands of Iranian Christians, they found that over 50% of them had all come to faith because they'd had a, a personal vision of Jesus, where Jesus had appeared to them and spoken to them and led them to faith. So the uh, mission leader went up to meet with him. He shares the gospel with him. The guy comes to faith. And, and he, he said, though, that actually what he said, which we don't normally do, actually, when we're kind of leading folk to faith, right? He said, I, like, have you counted the cost? Are you prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel? So challenging, right? It's challenging for us to hear today because there's so many things we don't need to suffer for. But this guy said... A hundred percent, yes, I'm willing to suffer for the gospel. How valuable is the gospel to him? You know, that it wasn't a thing of, I want to kind of join this new club or this new relationship, but it's like, who is that question of who is your God? He said, I want, like, I want this God. I want this relationship with God, not a religion, 
but a relationship, that he was willing to give up his life to have that. Remember, we spoke a couple of weeks back about taking 30 minutes in the morning just to spend time with the Holy Spirit. So there's plenty of people willing to give their lives up for a relationship with God. Let's give up 30 minutes to give to our relationship with God. You know, I bet that guy doesn't just spend 30 minutes chatting to God in the day. So people all over the world today, there are those who pay us such a high price for the gospel. And these disciples in these towns, they've had first-hand experience of it, haven't they? They haven't just kind of said, oh, I don't quite, I can't picture that at the moment. They've seen Paul kind of dragged out and beaten with stones. They know that that could be something that happens with, with them. So, and sometimes, guys, there is a cost. And I thank God that we will live in a place where it's safe for the most part, you know, where it's safe. And so I praise God for that. I don't. I don't pray for persecution. Let's pray that people aren't persecuted. But it can be so easy to forget, can't it? So easy to forget. And so I, I want to encourage us all to live with this attitude of gratitude for that as well, for that context. Don't take it for granted. And there's organizations like Open Doors. You can connect with those guys. Find people in the persecuted church. Pray for the persecuted church. Give part of your time to praying for brothers and sisters who you'll never know and you'll never meet, but who are being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. So coming to land now, verse 23 to 28, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. So that's as they're going with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going to Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. I love that. They completed it. Job done. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they continued to retrace their steps. Do you remember I'd said that journey between Perga and Pisidia Antioch? Dangerous journey, massive, like mountainous area. It's just before John leaves, isn't it? Mountainous area, huge rivers running through that area, robbers and gangs roaming around there. Not a safe place to come through. They go through it once. They could have come back around another way. They come back through it again, back through all those mountain passes, back to Perga. And they get to Perga and they preach the gospel in Perga. They share the word in Perga. They never did that on the way through. When they went through, you guys may remember me saying, as there were times of year where actually a lot of people left Perga, went up to this kind of the high basin areas where it was cooler. But this very likely is nearing the end of summer, people are early autumn, people are coming back down, back into this kind of area. So loads more people in Perga. And so that's when they share the word. And then they go on to Italia, and from Italia, they sail back to Antioch. And then they spend a long time in that place in Antioch. And so it, I look, it's this great picture of a job done. Now, is everybody a believer? No. But they've planted the seed. They've seen the seeds of churches established where they're going. And that's their job for that moment. See, remember, guys, what I was saying a few weeks ago about Antioch. And this was when we were talking about them leaving Antioch. And I said about the importance 
of your lives within church, actually having a church family, a place where you're where you are, but then also a place where you're where you're going in your visions as well. Having this family of people, a group of people around you who may not be with you on the journey, but are there to pray with you, are there to lift you up, are there to hold you accountable, and are there that when you get back, or if you get beaten, you know, and you come back wounded, and when, when you come home, they're there with open arms. But also a place to keep us accountable, too. And so that, you know, is such a big part of our vision, to be that kind of place. If you imagine what's going on here in this place, that Paul and Barnabas, they get back, and those guys must have been completely beat, you know? For a start, the sea journey back would have just been nuts. But they've come, Paul's probably still got bruises and blood on his face from having been stoned after death. And then all this travel and everything, these guys would have been weary and tired, but there's some beautiful picture in that, that they return to Antioch, this great church there that had sent them out to report everything that had done to be. You can imagine the joy and celebration that those guys would have had over those guys, prayed over them, that said, guys, we've been praying for you. Tell us what's happened. So they don't have WhatsApp then. You know, tell us, tell us what's happened. And they report back everything. And just how amazing is that for, for, for Paul and Barnabas, but also for those for that church. And that's a big part of our vision. If any of you guys have seen our kind of vision statement, it is family and it is harbor. It's family and in one aspect of family is to be that kind of family that people maybe go out on things and then adventures and missions and things like that and come back and there is a family here waiting to care for them, waiting to restore them. And that may be a ministry thing you're going out for. It may, be, it may just be the general weekly going in and out of the stuff that you're doing in your life. But then also a big part of what we're doing, the other part of our vision is harbor, that we would be like a harbor, that we'd see boats going out and coming in, that we'd be that refuge, that place of restoration. And so Paul and Barnabas, they return to Antioch, and it's the end of their first missionary journey. And so guys, that, I'm just gonna end here and then we're gonna worship and have a little bit of response time at the end. But the challenge, the question I've got for you guys today to think about, to pray about, is do you have any good thing which you've made an ultimate thing? Do you have any good thing, and just take a moment right now, do you have any good thing which you've made into an ultimate thing? Who's on the throne of your peace? Is it money or is it Jesus? And you know, whatever it is, if you guys are ready to give it up, not to say, okay, I don't need money anymore, you know, I'm throwing away all my makeup. I did that years ago. But um, if, you know, there is something that you know is a serious thing on the throne of your heart on one area, then as we worship, just speak to Jesus and just say, Lord, I just enthrone you in this area of my life. I enthrone you over the financial peace. God, I put you in charge of that. My self-image, my, my looks, things like that. I, God, I put you on the throne of my life for that. And we're going to pray together at the end as well. And secondly, guys, do you have a church family? I know maybe some of you guys are looking for churches as well. But, and 
would love to have you here, but if it's another church, that's great as well. But make sure you're in a place like Antioch where you have that church family, those people who are always around you, who can, whether they're with you physically all the time or not, but praying with you, supporting you, keeping you accountable. So guys, I'm just going to pray to close. And then we're going to worship. Father God, Lord, I thank you that you're King of kings and Lord of lords. I thank you that you're King over every single one of our lives, Lord. And I just pray for each of us, the different things that we have going on, Lord, that you would, you would gently nudge us, Lord, that you would speak to us in our hearts if there are any areas that we know that you are not King in our heart. God, Lord, I pray that we would just have the peace and the grace, God, just to, just to put, you, put you first in that. And Lord, I pray for people looking for churches. God, I pray for people out of church who are your kids, God. Lord, I pray that they would connect with church, Lord, whether it is Destiny Church or it's Resurrection Church or Clearwater Bay Baptist Church or any of the other local churches around here. If it's guys down on the island, God, some of the awesome churches down there as well, God. Lord, we just pray that the people in the city, God, would be in community, God, would be in community of your people. In your great and awesome name, Jesus. Amen.